Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you all doing today? Alhamdulillah. Welcome to the class, those of you who are new. And um, mashallah, I saw some of you last week also. So, welcome to the class. Bismillah ar-Rahman نَحْمَدُهُ وَنُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ الْكَرِيمِ أَمَّا بَعْدْ فَأَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ رَبِّ شْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي رَبَّنَا زِدْنَا عِلْمًا So in Bukhari we are doing Abwaab Salatul Jama'ah The chapters which are about Salah in congregation Praying together in Jama'ah And the bab that we are studying is إِذَا حَضَرَ الطَّعَامُ وَأُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَىٰ That when food is served and at the same time the prayer is established, meaning the iqama is given, then what should a person do? Should he stop eating? Or should he not eat at all and go to the salah immediately? Or should he eat, finish off his food and then go join the prayer? And as we learned earlier, that there is no one answer because it really depends on the situation. If a person has a little bit of food left that he wants to finish before the prayer, then he should do that. Because in his salah he will constantly be distracted. But on the other hand, if he hasn't even started his meal, and if he eats his food and then goes to join the prayer, he might miss the prayer completely. So it really depends on the situation. So if the food is going to distract a person from the prayer, then what should he do? Finish his food and then pray. But if a person is going to be distracted from his food because of the prayer, meaning he's not able to eat properly because of the salah, then what should he do? Go and pray. First, So whatever is of most concern to an individual at that given time, he should do that. Because the purpose of prayer is to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if the prayer is such that a person does not have focus, then that is not fulfilling the purpose of the prayer. So in order to ensure that the salah is being performed properly, one must fulfill his needs. And of the most important needs is food. So this is why a person should eat first if he has to. Then we see the hadith about Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu. حدثنا عبيد بن إسماعيل عن أبي أسامة عن عبيد الله عن نافع عن ابن عمر قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said إذا وضع عشاء أحدكم when the supper the dinner of one of you is served وأقيمت الصلاة and the prayer has been established me إقامة is given. Then what should a person do? The Prophet ﷺ said, فَبْدَأُوا بِالْعَشَاءِ Then start with your supper, meaning eat first. وَلَا يَعْجَلْ حَتَّى يَفْرُغَ مِنْهُ And he should not hurry and rush until he is يَفْرُغَ عَنْهُ Meaning until he has finished his food. Because if he is going to uh, be too fast in eating and he's not eating properly, then that could hurt him. And if he does not eat properly and he rushes to the prayer, again, uh, he won't be able to focus in prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ advised over here that what should a person do? Eat first and don't rush too much. Eat at a normal pace and then go and join the prayer. But what if in this process a person misses, let's say, one rakah, two rakah, even three? Is that okay? Again, it depends on the situation. If he's too hungry, and he knows he will not be able to pray properly, then he should eat first. Even if he's going to miss first rakah, second rakah, third rakah. As long as he can catch the jama'ah. But if he's going to miss the jama'ah completely, then what should he do? 
then he has to stop and go. Right? Then he has to stop and go. Because like we learned earlier, that eating first is mubah, meaning people have that allowance. It's an allowance. It's permitted. Alright? But praying in jama'ah for the men, what is that? Mandatory. So when you have two things before you, one that is permissible and the other that is mandatory, then what do you have to choose? That which is mandatory. So in this situation, a person will go and pray first and then eat. You see, what happens is that we look at the prayer as, let's pray first so that we can eat easily. But it should be the other way. Eat first, get your food out of the way so that you can pray. But we think, get your prayer out of the way so that you can eat comfortably. But it's the other way. That too, that when you have a full stomach, then you become lazy. And again, we need to remember the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ when it comes to eating. Exactly. We should not generalize this allowance. It really depends on the situation. That if a person is really exhausted, he's tired, he's been hungry, and yes, the jama'ah is going on, but he needs the strength to pray also. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ advised that eat first. And you see the Sahaba, they weren't people who used to eat a lot. They wouldn't eat much. And they wouldn't eat such food which would cause a person to be sleepy and you know that all the energy is concentrated in digesting the food. They wouldn't eat like that. And they wouldn't eat that much either. They wouldn't spend too much time eating. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ told them to eat first. وَكَانَ ibn عُمَرَ And Ibn Umar عنه, how did he understand this? That يُضَعُ لَهُ الطَّعَامُ Food would be served to him. وَتُقَامُ الصَّلَةُ And even the prayer would be established. فَلَا يَأْتِيهَا حَتَّى يَفْرُغُ And he would not come to the prayer until he would be done eating. وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْمَعُ قِرَاءَةَ الْإِمَامُ And he would even hear the recitation of the imam. So that, that means that sometimes perhaps he would even miss the first rakah. It's possible. Right? And sometimes even two. Because he could hear the qira'ah. If the qira'ah you can hear, that means rukur can be any second now. So what does it show? That he would eat first and then join the jama'ah. وَقَالَ زُهَيْرٌ وَوَهْبُ بْنُ عُثْمَانَ عَنْ مُوسَى إِبْنِ عُقْبَةَ عَنْ نَافِعٍ عَنْ إِبْنِ عُمَرَ قَالَ قَالَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا كَانَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَلَى الطَّعَامِ That when one of you is عَلَى الطَّعَامِ Meaning he's already eating فَلَا يَعْجَلْ حَتَّى يَقْضِيَ حَاجَتَهُ مِنْهُ Then he should not hurry and rush until he has fulfilled his need from it. Meaning that if he has to eat a little bit more in order to complete his meal, then what should he do? Complete his meal and then go. وَإِنْ أُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ Even if the prayer has already begun. رواه إبراهيم بن المنذر عن وهب بن عثمان ووهب مديني So all of these narrations, what do they show to us? The practicality of our religion. That how practical the deen is. Now, if it's a group of people who are eating, alright, and the time for prayer Enters. So for example, a group of men, they're sitting together, they're eating, and Maghrib, the time, enters. Now what should they do? Stop their food immediately and pray? What should they do? Finish their food, and then do jama'ah. But what if uh, one person is eating, okay, and the jama'ah is going to begin? You understand? 
How is it different from the first case? The first case is the all the people are eating. So when will they start the Jumara? When everybody is done. But now let's say you go to the masjid and you have a sandwich in your hand and the Jumara has begun. So then what are you going to do? Depends. If you have a bite or two left, finish that. Even if the salah begins. But if you think, no, it's going to take me a good 15 minutes to finish this. So what should a person do then? Leave it and then go pray. Then we also see that because in all of these abwab, basically Imam Bukhari is clarifying that what are the genuine reasons that allow a person to either miss the Jumu'ah or join the Jumu'ah late. You understand? What are the valid reasons because of which a person may not join the Jumu'ah at all or he may join the Jumu'ah late. So of those valid reasons is what? Sickness. And over here from all of these ahadith, what do we see? Food is also a genuine reason. Okay? Depending on the situation of the person. It could be a genuine reason. So if because of his food, he has to join the Jumu'ah late, is there any harm? Is there any sin upon him? No, there is no sin upon him. Alright? Because it's a genuine reason. But remember that when it comes to the imam, the one who has to lead people in prayer, then it's a different story. Okay? Because he has to sacrifice more. And this is what we see in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Bab إِذَا دُعِيَ الْإِمَامُ When the imam is called إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ To the prayer, وَبِيَدِهِ And in his hand is مَا يَأْكُلُ What he is eating. Meaning the imam is eating, his food is in his hand, and what happens? He's called for the prayer. What is he supposed to do? If he says, no, I'm supposed to eat first, so I'll eat first and then go pray. Then what is going to happen? The congregation will get delayed and people are going to be affected. Right? But if a person has to go join the Jumu'ah, then his joining late is not going to affect anybody but himself. He's missing out on some reward. But... It's only going to affect him, it's not going to affect other people. But the Imam, what about him? What do we see from the Sunnah of the Prophet Haddathana Abdul Aziz ibn Abdullah, Qala Haddathana Ibrahim, An Salih, An ibn Shihabin, Qala Akhbarani Ja'far ibn Amr ibn Umayyata, Anna Abahu Qala, he said, Ra'aytu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I saw the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Ya'kulu, he was eating, Dhira'an, shoulder, meaning of a sheep. يَحْتَزُّ مِنْهَا And he was taking the meat off of it, he was biting it. فَدُعِيَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ And he was called to the prayer. So what happened? فَقَامَ So he stood up. فَطَرَحَ And he put down a sikin, the knife. Meaning with which he was taking the meat off. What did he do? He put it down. فَصَلَّى And then he went and prayed. وَلَمْ يَتَوَضَّأْ And he did not make wudu. Meaning fresh wudu he did not make. Why? Because he already had wudu. And eating sheep meat does not Break one's wudu. So what do we see over here? Many things. First of all, we see that the Prophet ﷺ ate meat. Okay? So there is absolutely nothing wrong with eating meat unless it's harmful for a person's health. A person could have a health condition because of which it's not suitable. But otherwise, out of piety, abstaining from meat, this is not of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. He was the most pious of people, the most muttaqi of them, and he also ate meat. Then we see that in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, we learned that he was eating dhirar, shoulder. And in other hadith also we see that he was eating 
his shoulder. So it seems that that was his favorite. Thirdly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ was using a knife. So while the Prophet ﷺ ate with his hand, meaning using his fingers, we see that he also used a knife. So there is no harm in using your hands or using cutlery. There is absolutely no harm. Because the Prophet ﷺ did both. Right? Because sometimes what happens is that we think that eating with the hands is definitely better. Right? And as a result, even when cutlery is available, and it, it would be more practical and easier for us to eat with that cutlery, what do we do? We think that no, eating with the hands is better. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he was a very practical man. So when he was cutting the meat, we see that he was using a knife. Alright, but remember that if you are using a knife, then don't cut with your right hand and eat with your left. Alright? Cut with your left hand, eat with the right. And if you find it difficult to cut with the left hand, cut with the right hand, but then also eat with the right. And it's just about practice. Alright? Then we also see over here that the Prophet ﷺ, he stopped his food, meaning he stopped his meal, alright? And he went to lead the people in prayer. Why? Because while it is permissible for a person to eat first and then pray, remember that it is not mandatory. So this clarifies that it is permissible to eat first and then pray. But it is not mandatory. So when the Prophet ﷺ commanded in the previous ahadith where we see that he said, eat first, that doesn't mean that it is mandatory on us to eat first. That command is for permissibility. Alright? Also we see that the way of the Prophet ﷺ, it's amazing that he is eating in the middle of eating. He stands up, puts down the knife and goes to pray. Like we learn from other hadiths also that the Prophet ﷺ, he would be amongst his family, but when the time for prayer would come, he would become like a stranger. Like a stranger. All of a sudden, his mind would just go elsewhere. That's it. I have to stop this and go for prayer now. And we see this attitude reflecting over here also. That in the middle of eating and he stops. So in summary, what do we see? That food allows a person to join late, even pray late. So for example, and by late I don't mean delay the prayer from its proper time. But that a person does not have to stand up and pray immediately. So for instance, you are eating your food and the Adhan, you know, is pronounced for a particular prayer. It's not required of you to stop everything and pray immediately. It's best if you do that. But if you are eating, you can pray five minutes later, ten minutes later, fifteen minutes later. There is absolutely no harm in that. If you're hungry, you cannot focus on prayer. And then sometimes, you know, food-related things are also such that are quite urgent sometimes. Like, for for example, if you're cooking, all right, and uh, the oil is hot, and you know that if you go away for even a minute, the food can burn or something can happen, right? And that will, you know, have an effect on so many things. Just the other day I was watching a recipe in which uh, the instructor was saying that even if the doorbell rings, don't leave the stove at this stage. Because if you leave the food at this point, it's going to get ruined. It's going to get spoiled. So sometimes it happens that you're 
really at that point where if you stop, drop and go pray, you know, the food will be affected. And you might think, what's the big deal? You know, if, if it's just you who's going to eat, okay, it's not a big deal. But when you have to feed children and when you have to feed other people, then it becomes a big deal. So when this allowance is there, then we should also be easy with ourselves. But being easy does not mean that we keep delaying the prayer, deferring it until the very end. No, that is something that we should be careful about because وَيْلُ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ باب من كان في حاجة أهله فأقيمت الصلاة فخرج من كان the one who was في حاجة أهله in the haja of his family haja is what? need so in fulfilling the needs of his family meaning doing housework domestic chores he is doing that فأقيمت الصلاة and then the iqama is pronounced for the prayer so what does he do? فخرج so he stops his work and he goes to Pray. Now earlier we learned about food, that a person is eating. Alright? Now this is about housework. Is housework a genuine reason which allows a person to miss the jama'ah or delay joining the jama'ah? Is it a valid reason? It's not. Why? Because it can be done later. Exactly. There's no end to it. Right? There is no end to it. You see, eating food, that's a need. It's a necessity. Right? And especially when you're already eating or the food is right in front of you, then you have to finish your food. But housework, is it a necessity? We have made it a necessity for ourselves, but really, is it a necessity? If your dishes lie overnight in your sink, will something catastrophic happen? Will you get a headache? No. But if you don't eat properly, that can affect your blood sugar levels, right? It it can affect your body. You're sleepy, you're tired, you're hungry, your head is hurting, then your stomach is hurting, and then you're feeling cold all over, right? People experience this because of not eating properly. But when it comes to housework, remember it's not urgent. Food, that could be urgent and important, right? But housework, it may be important, but is it urgent? It's not urgent. It can be? Exactly. Eat first, get, you know, get some energy and then do the work. And you see, if you're eating your food, then how much time will it take you to finish your food? Maybe five minutes, maybe ten minutes, right? So this is why you can defer the prayer until you're done eating. But when it comes to housework, you think it's going to be five minutes, you think it's going to be fifteen minutes. But one thing leads to another, which leads to another, and you don't even know your whole day is gone. Right? So this is why, when it comes to prayer, then a person has to stop the work and go pray. And especially, remember that Jamar is an obligation on the men. So housework, while it is nice that they do it, it is not a requirement of them, in the sense that it's not fulled on them. I'm not saying that on the woman it's fard, but we do learn from hadith that the woman is responsible over the house. Right? And generally it is the women who are doing such work. So if the husband is vacuuming, right, he's helping his wife out with the housework, she shouldn't say, no, no, you cannot step out of the house until you've done the whole house. I don't care if you're going to miss your isha, I want you to do this before you go. No. Very nice of him to do that, but he cannot be stopped from going for Jama'ah because of housework. 
حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة قال حدثنا الحكم عن إبراهيم عن الأسود قال سألت عائشة He said I asked عائشة رضي الله عنها that ما كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يصنع في بيته What is it that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would do in his house? They were curious right? because they couldn't go in his house and see and watch him right? see what he was doing because that was his you know, private space and At the same time, they were curious because outside, okay, he is doing something, he is talking to people, he is advising them, right? But in his house, what does he do? They were curious because the Prophet ﷺ being such a busy man that he was, a productive man, right? Someone who would not waste his time. The Sahaba, they wondered that, what does he do at his house? When he goes, what is it that he does? How does he keep himself busy? Qalat, she said, كَانَ يَكُونُ فِي مِهْنَةِ أَهْلِهِ The Prophet ﷺ, he used to be in the mihna of his family. What is mihna? Mihna is occupation. To keep oneself occupied. So he would keep himself occupied and busy with what? His family. Meaning, he would help his family in regular work. In regular housework. Meaning, he would keep himself busy serving his family by helping them in the things that are generally done within a house, within a household. Tarni خِدْمَةَ أَهْلِهِ She meant خِدْمَةَ أَهْلِهِ meaning serving his family. That's what he would do. He would help out. He wouldn't just sit and relax and be served by others. Rather, what would he do? He would go and help out his family members. And remember that the Prophet ﷺ did not have one wife. Hmm? He had multiple. And he would go and visit each one of them regularly. Now imagine going to one one's house and helping her with something. Going to the other and helping her with another thing. كَانَ يَكُونُ فِي مِهْنَةِ أَهْلِهِ تَعْنِي خِدْمَةَ أَهْلِهِ فَإِذَا حَضَاتِ الصَّلَاةِ Then when the time for prayer would come in, خَرَجَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ He would go to the prayer. Then whatever he was doing would stop and he would go for the prayer. What do we see over here? The fact that the Prophet ﷺ, while he was a prophet, the one who received revelation, the one chosen above all of mankind, and not just all of mankind, but also all of the prophets, the one who will be honored as being the first one to enter Jannah. When the people will cross the Sirat, they will be cleansed at the Qantara. When the time will come to enter Jannah, the Prophet ﷺ will be the first one to reach there. And when he will reach there, the gates will be closed. So he will hold the handle and knock at the gates of Jannah. And he will be asked, who is this? And the Prophet ﷺ will say that it is him. And then the angel will say that I was told to not open the door except for you. Meaning, I was instructed that you should be the first one to enter paradise. So he will be the first one to enter paradise. Imagine his darajat. Imagine his high ranks. In this dunya and in the akhirah. But yet when he would go to his family, what is he doing? Serving them. In another hadith we learn, the words, مَا كَانَ إِلَّا بَشَرًا مِنَ الْبَشَرِ He was a human being, so he would do the things that normal people do. What? In a hadith that Imam Bukhari has recorded in his book, Adab al-Mufrad, He's written a chapter 
باب ما يعمل الرجل في بيته what a man should do in his house hmm? and in this hadith he has mentioned that Aisha radiallahu anha was asked that what did the Prophet ﷺ do in his house and she replied he did what one of you would do in his house he mended sandals and he patched garments and he sewed meaning he would also sew the clothes he would patch up his clothes or other people's clothes his family also mend sandals in other versions we learn about you know milking the animals even looking after himself and his family's needs regular housework he did that but what happens is that sometimes we think that if we are you know if we have a certain position somewhere out in the world then when we come home we should be treated in the same way your status elsewhere Good, Alhamdulillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given that to you. But within a house, what are you? What are we? A wife, a daughter, right? A daughter-in-law, whatever our role is. And we have to accept it and fulfill that. Fulfill what is expected of us. Right? Never think that just because we have more knowledge compared to our spouse, now our spouse should be serving us. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has raised the status of people of knowledge, so... Our husband should also serve us. No. You have knowledge, good, alhamdulillah. But at the same time, you have certain responsibilities. And the Prophet ﷺ, he fulfilled those responsibilities. And you see, it's amazing how the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they loved him. Why do you think they loved him? One of the reasons was that because he cared for them. He looked after them. Because when a person helps his family, right, in their work, And what happens is that this is what brings them together. This is what brings them closer together. This is what produces love. Yes, but you know when the men will learn? When they see in your attitude. When they will see that you are striving so hard within the house and also elsewhere and not yelling at them and your attitude is changing, they will become more cooperative. You see what happens is that men love to be respected. They love to be respected. If the wife respects her husband, treats him like a king, he will become her servant. Literally, he will become her servant. He will even do the dishes for her. If if she is going to listen to him, she is going to show love to him, she is going to fulfill his needs and respect him, he will do anything for her. He will. He's got that strength. He's got that ability. Yes, there are exceptions here there. Okay, there are exceptions, but generally we see that this is something very normal. I remember reading an article about this, that what happens is that a wife, when she has a lot of housework, you know, children, all of that work, she gets frustrated with her husband. So what happens, he enters and she goes off, attacking him. So what happens? He doesn't want to see her, doesn't want to talk to her, he goes, hides in his man cave. He doesn't want to come home, right? Or he goes sits on the couch and turns the TV on, exactly, blocking everything out. So then what happens? The wife becomes even more angry. Right? She becomes even more angry. And then the distance, it only grows between the husband and wife. But on the other hand, if we have this attitude of forgiveness and lowering our expectations and helping the other, instead of expecting from others, giving to the others then this is something that will produce love. And also you see what happens is that we try to get work done from other people by emotionally bullying them or 
yelling at them. But this is not the way. Not the way at all. If you show love to them, forgive them. That is the best way of having them work with you. Like uh, I always remind myself of the responsibilities that the men are taking care of, which are many. Like for example, taking care of the car, you know, just getting tune-ups or whatever they need to do of the house, you know, so many things. Taking us for groceries, doing all this uh, other stuff, like you know, renewing passports and what, it, all this stuff. It requires effort from them, which we wouldn't understand. You know, uh, there's certain things that they do which we don't have to do, but we don't realize that they have done it. You know, like for example, in my house, I don't fill up the gas. I had to do it this morning. I don't fill it up. It's generally their job. But I mean, taking out the car just to get the gas, five, ten minutes here or there. And then on top of that, we expect them to do dishes. I mean, we should be reasonable as well that what can they manage? What else are they doing that's on their plate? Because they are doing their part as well. Because we're not doing those things. So each person, you know, has their work. And yes, housework is something that can be shared, definitely. But the way of sharing it is not by bullying the other person. It's by respecting them, earning their love, so that willingly they will help you. And you're training them for life. Because uh, how many times it happens that a man is by himself, you know, for a short period of time. And if the wife has to travel somewhere, then she has to cook from before and do everything from before and come back home to such a big mess. And then the husband, he doesn't even know how to iron his clothes. Many times it happens. So if we are teaching our sons, remember that we're training them for life. These are important life skills that girls need and also boys need. Yes. I mean, when it comes to just filing your taxes and so many things they have to manage. And they're doing it constantly, along with their regular work. And we think that if we had to wash two, three dishes or we had to cook two, three things, it's too much work. Who could be busier than the Prophet ﷺ? Yet when he went to see his family, he would be helping them. Because both the husband and wife need to look after one another, right? I remember visiting a family once. Uh, the wife was quite unwell. And the husband was uh, preparing dinner for four children. And this is not a husband who's just you know, doing an ordinary job. He's a professor at university, you know, doing his PhD. Mashallah, I mean, professionally very advanced. But yet, he's preparing food for his children and guests. And not once, not twice, many, many times because the wife was unwell and the wife was working regularly. So both have to cooperate with one another so that they can live productive lives. right? But remember that if you're not receiving the cooperation of the other, then perhaps you need to give more. Change your attitude. And inshallah, the help will come. Change your intentions about how you... It's about perspective, right? And it makes the work easier also. Also, one more thing we see here. The Prophet ﷺ, he would go to visit his family, I mean his uh, wife, and he would be helping out over there, right? Now, many times it happens that our family members, whether they are uh, immediate family or extended family, we have certain obligations towards them. And one of them is, you have to come see us every day or every other day, or every weekend, right? There are some family members who expect it. Like for example, if you have an aunt, or you have a grandmother, and you don't see her once a week, she'll be offended with you. But what happens is that we don't want to go there, because we have so many things to do, and we think it's going to be a waste of time, if we just go there, sit for half an hour, 
talk. Talk about what? I can even talk on the phone. But you know what? They want to see you. It's not about what you have to say or they have to say. They want to see you. So when you have to go meet your family and you're just sitting there so that they can see you, why not go with the intention of helping them, right? So that you can earn double ajr. Your time is spent in doing you know, some work that is inshallah going to be beneficial for you and for other people. I mean, when we go somewhere, we go like guests. So we think that you know, I'm just going to sit on the couch and I'm wearing my nice fancy clothes so I, I can't do anything. No. And especially when we're going to family, you know, the house of family members, then over there especially we need to help out. Unfortunately, we think that if we're going somewhere, we should be served. If we are in a relationship like a husband, then he has to give us. But whenever we're dealing with people, it shouldn't just be about ourselves. It should be about what we can do for others. Because remember that what we do for others, how we deal with them, that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to deal with us also. So the Prophet ﷺ, his humility, what do we see here? That when he would be at home, كان, كان أهله, he would be busy, he would keep himself busy, in serving his family. What balance in his life. Where he's a, a great advisor and a leader at his home also. He's such a perfect companion. This is one of the best ways of letting out that energy. Right? Physical work. Because what happens is that we are sitting in the office in front of a computer all day long. Right? Or we're sitting in a classroom taking notes. But then when you go home, you need some physical activity. So whether it's the dishes or the cooking or the vacuum or changing diapers, whatever it may be, remember that it's good for you. When you help others, then you get their cooperation also. Right? Many, many times it happens that women complain that they don't have family support. Right? They don't, they don't get permission. The thing is that if we start focusing on our primary obligations and start fulfilling them properly, then like we discussed earlier, you will get all the support. Like I remember one of the aunties, she was saying that uh, my husband wants his dinner at the table at 5 o'clock. So I do whatever I want to during the day, but at 5 o'clock I make sure that his fresh you know, food is ready. That I do not compromise on. He does not want that to be compromised. So she respects that. Our problem is that we don't respect other people's, you know, expectations or their needs. We think they should be patient. So what if the food is half an hour late? So what if it's one hour late? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to you. But that is how they want it. And the husband being uh, the qawwam, yes, I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him a daraja. So we should also respect that. Also what happens is that when we are working, you know, to help somebody out, we start expecting from them. This is a problem. If we're doing housework, we think that we're doing a huge favor towards the family, towards the husband. So he should be cooperative and he should be helpful and he should also perform, he should also take some responsibility within the house. But the fact is that whenever we're doing something, why are we expecting from people? Expect ajr from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't do it for others. Do it for him. 
every effort. Because what can people give? MashaAllah, you cooked really well. Good job. You cleaned the floor really well. What are these comments going to do to you? They're only going to, you know, if you think deeply, they're going to annoy you. Because yes, the floor is clean, but you know what's going to happen. So don't expect anything from people. Expect from Allah. Always tell yourself, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for Him. And if it's something expected of us, you know, a responsibility that has been given to us, then do it still. And fulfilling your responsibility for whose sake? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. باب من صلى بالناس وهو لا يريد إلا أن يعلمهم صلاة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وسنته من صلى بالناس the one who prays with the people meaning he leads them in prayer or he prays with them meaning in front of them uh, before them وهو while he لا يريد he does not intend إلا except meaning the only thing that's in his mind why he is praying is أَن يُعَلِّمَهُمْ صَلَاةَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ He wants to teach them the proper way of prayer that was taught by the Prophet وَسُنَّتَهُ and his sunnah with regards to prayer. So all of these abwab they are about jama'ah, right? Imam. So the imam, he is leading people in prayer, but his intention is to teach the people as to how to pray properly. He's not really performing the prayer of that time. So for example, it's time for Zuhr. And let's say the actual Jama'ah in the Masjid is going to be at a particular time. There's still 45 minutes until that time. So there's a group of children and a person is appointed to teach them how to pray. So he says, okay, come on children, I'll lead you in prayer. We'll pray two rakar together so that you can see how we're supposed to perform salah properly. Now, those two rak'ah are not two rak'ah of zuhr. I mean, he two, four, how much ever he prays. He's not praying with the intention of performing the prayer of that time. It's nafil. Alright? But what's the purpose? Yes, it is an act of worship. But what's the purpose? To teach. Is this permissible? Yes, it is permissible. Now, is it necessary that a person actually prays or can he just show the actions and talk in the middle? Can he do that? Yes, he can do that also. That is also possible. But if you are also praying at that time, you can also accumulate more ajr. So for example, there's a new Muslim. And you say, okay, there's still time for jama'ah. So you stand next to me, we'll pray two rakar together, so that you can see how you're supposed to pray. We'll practice a little bit. Now You can either show them the actions without the intention of prayer, or you can actually lead them in prayer. Right? Is that permissible? Yes, it is permissible. Now the question is, why should a person do like this anyway? Why? Because teaching through actions is more effective. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا وهيب قال حدثنا أيوب عن أبي قلابة قال جاءنا مالك بن الحويرث. He said Malik ibn Huwaydith he came, the companion of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم في مسجدنا in our masjid هذا this when he came to this masjid of ours. فقال when he came he said إني Indeed, I la usalli bikum. I will pray with you. Wama uridu salah, and I don't intend to pray, meaning the prayer of this time. I will lead you in prayer, but I don't intend to pray the prayer of this time. Usalli. The only reason why I'm praying with you is kaifa. I will pray so that you see how ra'aytu nabiya sallallahu alaihi wasallam yusalli. How I saw him praying. Fa qultu li abi qilaba. So. 
the narrator he said that I asked Abu Qilaba, the one who saw all this happen, that كَيْفَ كَانَ يُصَلِّي How did Malik bin Huwadis pray then? He said he was going to show people how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. So how did he pray then? قَالَ Abu Qilaba said مِثْلَ شَيْخِنَا هَذَا Just like this shaykh of ours, meaning this shaykh as in an older person or teacher, whoever he was, just like this person, Malik bin Huwadis prayed. In other words, this person is praying exactly like how Malik bin Huwadis showed us. قَالَ He said, وَكَانَ شَيْخًا He said, and this shaykh, what would he do? يَجْلِسُ He would sit إِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ مِنَ السُّجُودِ When he would lift his head up from sujood, meaning when he would get up from the sajda, what would he do? He would sit before going up for the next rakah. قَبْلَ أَنْ يَنْهَضَ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى Before he would stand up in the first rakah, meaning after completing the first rakah, when he would get up from sujood, what would he do? Sit and then stand up. Now, what do we see in this hadith? First of all, we see the hirs of sahaba in spreading, in teaching the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. How eager they were to spread the sunnah. He must have observed that people are praying salah, but they're far from the sunnah. So he said, I will pray, I will lead you in prayer, and I'll show you how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. So you can learn the sunnah also. Your prayer may, may be valid, but if you start following the sunnah, it'll be much better. So what does this show? That if someone is praying and we see that they're not following the sunnah, we should say, at least they're praying, so it's okay. It depends, right? I mean, if the person, they can improve, and you know they will be willing to improve, and you know the sunnah, then what is your obligation? That you should show them, teach them. And sometimes it could be a very minor sunnah even. You'll notice this, that after a group of people study the sunnah, the proper way of performing the prayer, right? Closer to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, they'll start asking you about little, little things. Recently in the weekend course, they had the salah workshop. And after that workshop, so many people have been coming up to me asking me, can you please check if I'm sitting properly? Right? I mean, it's just about adjusting your feet in a certain position. But imagine, people have been praying without following that sunnah for so many, many years. What do you think they, they must have taught their children? Right? I mean, leaving out on the sunnah, okay, salah will be valid inshallah, but still, it's not as good as it could be. So when we know the sunnah, and we see that other people are not following that, then what is our obligation that we spread the sunnah? And we see Malik bin Huwadis did that. And you see, prayer, if anyone learned something from you, a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and they start doing it, Imagine what sadaqah jariya you have. The example that's mentioned over here is that teach your children Surah Al-Fatiha yourself because they're going to be reciting Surah Al-Fatiha for their entire life inshallah. So if you teach them, imagine every time they recite Surah Al-Fatiha, you're accumulating reward. But what happens is that we think, inshallah when they go to school, or inshallah when they join the course, inshallah when they study this fiqh, right? they will learn. Don't wait for others to teach. If you know, go ahead and teach yourself so that you can accumulate more reward. And we see this in the way of Malik bin Huwadid. Secondly, we see over here that he led them in prayer in order to teach them. And this is something that may be done. It happens many times that children, when they're taught the prayer, they need to be shown also how to pray. So in that, if the teacher is leading them in prayer, reciting everything out loud, is that permissible? Yes, it is permissible. And let's say they're just showing the actions without really praying. Is that permissible also? 
Yes, it is permissible. Then we see here that uh, the man who prayed very similar to how Malik bin Huwadiyah prayed, who prayed very similar to how the Prophet ﷺ prayed, what is mentioned over here? That he would sit when he would get up from sajda. What is this called? Jalsa istiraha. Now, Jalsa istiraha, we see that it is reported over here and it's also reported in other hadith. Now some ulama, they said that it is sunnah. It is sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So every time you're getting up from sajda, before you go into the next rakar, what should you do? Don't just go immediately straight up, rather sit first and then get up. But others, such as the Hanabila scholars, they said it is not sunnah. Rather, a person will do it as per need. They will do it as per need. So, for example, if a person is really tired, or they're aged, or they have an injury, and for them to get up from sajda straight to standing position is difficult, so what will they do? They will sit, and then they will stand up. They said it is for haja, it is for a need. It is not a rukun of prayer. It is not a step in prayer, rather it is done for ease, you know, while being easy with yourself. Because it's difficult to get up like that. And the evidence they use is that for every rukun of prayer, for every action of prayer, okay, which is meaning mandatory, something that you have to do, there are two things. Either you have some dhikr for it, okay? So for example, between the two sajda, you sit down. That's a rukun of prayer. Why? Because you have to say some dhikr. What is that? Rabbighfirli, Rabbighfirli. Right? Between the two sajdas. And then also, there's takbir before and after. You understand? So for example, when you get up from sajda, and you sit, you say, Allahu Akbar. You say, Rabbighfirli, Rabbighfirli. And then you say, Allahu Akbar, and go back into sajda. It's the second sajda. So, this jalsa between the two sajdas, what is that? A rukun of prayer. This is something that is sunnah, that is something you have to do, it is mandatory on you to do. Why? What's the evidence? There is takbir before and after, and there is also a dhikr that you have to say. Correct? But for this jalsa, is there any mashroor dhikr? Is there any dhikr that you have to do? Do you say, Rabbi khfirli, Rabbi khfirli that time? No. Secondly, is there takbir after that? No. There is no takbir after that. You understand? There is no takbir after that. So based on this they said that it is sunnah in the hajah. It will be a sunnah when there is a need. When there is a need, it will be a sunnah. So if a person is tired, their leg is injured, they cannot get up from sajda straight into standing position, right? Then it will be sunnah for them to sit and then rise. Okay? But if there is no need for them to sit, they can stand up easily. Is it sunnah for them? No. Alright? Also another evidence they used is that Malik bin Huwaidith, the companion who is mentioned over here, عنه, he came to the Prophet ﷺ in the end of his life. And by that time, it would be a need for him to sit and then stand up. So you understand? Is it clear? So... You know, sometimes it happens that you're getting up from sajda and you kind of lose balance. So if it's happening a lot with you, then sit and then stand up. But don't make it a must on yourself to sit and then stand up. Alhamdulillah. But there is a benefit in this for sure. If you do sit for jalsa istiraha, there is a benefit in that 
as you get up, you can, you know, it's easier to transition to the next rakah. Right? It, it helps you focus more. There's definitely a benefit, but remember that when it's not mandatory on a person, he should not make it mandatory on himself and make the salah harder. If it's a habit of yours, there's no harm. There's no harm. But remember that if you do have to get up without sitting in that position, then don't be too hard with yourself. Let yourself get up. باب أهل العلم والفضل أحق بالإمامة أهل العلم the people of knowledge والفضل and the people who have فضل they are أحق more deserving بالإمامة with إمامة meaning to lead the people in prayer so the people who have علم and the people who have فضل they are more deserving they have more right to lead people in prayer now who are أهل العلم people of knowledge but what kind of knowledge knowledge of the deen so if a person has more knowledge of the deen compared to others, then he has more right to be the imam, lead the prayer. But it's not just about ilm. It's also about having fadl. What is fadl? That person has some superiority over others in some way. Whether it is through knowledge or it is through authority or leadership, age, status, whatever it may be. Because knowledge alone, knowledge alone, does not make a person fit for leadership. Just because a person knows a lot doesn't mean they're fit for leadership. For leadership, there are certain qualities that a person must possess. Likewise, when it comes to being the imam in prayer, knowledge alone is not the only thing. Knowledge is important, but at the same time, there should also be some fuddle over the people. You remember the hadith that we learned earlier where a group of people came to the Prophet ﷺ, stayed for several days, learned from him, and then when the Prophet ﷺ observed that they were missing their families, he told them to go back. And what did he advise them? Who should lead the prayer? The one who is akbar, meaning eldest amongst them. Right? Why? Because he had fuddle over the rest in what? In age. He was older than the others. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ had him lead the prayer. Alright? Now we see that amongst the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, who was the most knowledgeable when it came to the Qur'an? Which companion? There were many companions, right? Like for example, Ali anhu he said that, ask me about any ayah, when it was revealed. Right? What was revealed? Ask me and I can tell you. He was very knowledgeable of the Qur'an. Ubay bin Ka'b He was also one of the most knowledgeable ones. Remember that when the Qur'an was being written, right, recorded, these companions were heavily involved in that. Correct? But what do we see here? So Ubay bin Ka'b who was the most knowledgeable uh, with regards to the Qur'an. There were other companions also who had more knowledge of the Qur'an compared to others. But the Prophet ﷺ, when he was sick towards the end of his life, who did he appoint as Imam? Abu Bakr Why? Because yes, he had ilm, and other companions perhaps had more ilm than him, but what is it that he had that others didn't have? Fadl. What kind of fadl did he have? That others would accept him as a leader. Right? Remember that the Prophet ﷺ appointed Abu Bakr ﷺ as Amir of Hajj also. 
Isn't that so? So why? Because he had fadl. He had superiority over the rest in in many ways. So what do we learn here? That ahlul ilmi wal fadli ahqub bil imama. People with knowledge and excellence, meaning they have superiority over the others in some way, they have more right to lead the people in prayer. It's not just knowledge, it's also fadl. حدثنا إسحاق بن نصر قال حدثنا حسين عن زائدة عن عبد الملك بن عمير قال حدثني أبو بردة عن أبي موسى قال he said مرض النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he fell ill he became sick فاشتد مرضه and his sickness it اشتد it became very severe meaning it became much worse فقال so he said مروا أبا بكر go tell Abu Bakr فَلْيُصَلِّ بِالنَّاسِ And he should lead the people in prayer. قَالَتْ عَائِشَةُ عَائِشَ رَضُ لَوْ عَنْهَا She said, إِنَّهُ رَجُلٌ رَقِيقٌ He is a man who is very رَقِيق Meaning he is very soft-hearted. إِذَا قَامَ مَقَامَكَ When he will stand in your place, لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ بِالنَّاسِ He will not be able to pray with the people. Meaning he will cry a lot because he's soft-hearted. And people won't be able to hear him. He won't be able to lead the people in prayer. Qala, he again said, Muru Aba Bakrin Falyusali bin Nas. Go tell Abu Bakr and he should lead the people in prayer. Fa'adat. So she also repeated. Fa'ala, so he said, Muri Aba Bakrin Falyusali bin Nas. He said for the third time, Go tell Abu Bakr and he should lead the people in prayer. Fa'inna kunna sawahibu Yusuf. You are like the companions of Yusuf. And we read this earlier as to why he said that. Fa'atahur Rasul, so the messenger came to him. To who? To Abu Bakr. What messenger? Rasul over here refers to the person with whom the message was sent to Abu Bakr. Because obviously Aisha wouldn't go outside looking for Abu Bakr. Right? So somebody was given the message to deliver to Abu Bakr. And who was that? Bilal radiallahu anhu. bin nas. So he prayed with the people, meaning he led them. Fi hayatin nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we see here that Abu Bakr anhu, he was asked to lead the people in prayer because he was afdalun nas after the Prophet ﷺ, meaning he was the most superior of the people after the Prophet ﷺ. And his fadl, uh, his superiority over the people was made evident at many, many occasions. Like we see, for instance, when the Prophet ﷺ did hijrah, he did it with Abu Bakr anhu. Right? There's so many... Instance where we see the high status that Abu Bakr anhu possessed, right? And it was well known amongst the people. Abu Bakr anhu was the close companion of the Prophet And this is the reason why he was appointed as the Imam, because of his ilm as well as his fadl. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله عنها أنها قالت إن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال في مرضه The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said in his illness مروا أبا بكر يصلي بالناس Tell Abu Bakr he should lead the people in prayer قالت عائشة قلت إن أبا بكر إذا قام في مقامك لم يسمع الناس من البكاء فمر عمر فليصلي للناس so we see over here Aisha radhiallahu anha said that you should tell Abu Bak- uh, you should tell Umar radhiallahu anhu to lead the people in prayer. فقالت عائشة فقلت لحفصته she said I told Hafsa because Hafsa radhiallahu anha was also there. So when Aisha radhiallahu anha suggested and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't 
accept that suggestion. Aisha radiallahu anha had Hafsa radiallahu anha say the same thing. فَقُلْتُ لِحَفْصَةَ قُولِي You also say لَهُ تَهِمْ إِنَّ أَبَا بَكْرٍ إِذَا قَامَ فِي مُقَامِكَ لَمْ يُسْمِعِ النَّاسَ مِنَ الْبُكَاءِ People won't be able to hear him because of crying. فَمُرْ عُمَرَ فَلْيُصَلِّ لِلنَّاسِ Tell Umar to lead the people in prayer. فَفَعَلَتْ حَفْصَةُ سَحَفْصَ رَضِلَهُ عَنْهَا did that. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ He said, مَهْ Stop. Enough. Stop it already. إِنَّ كُنَّ لَأَنْتُنَّ صَوَاحِبُ يُوسُفُ You are like the companions of Yusuf, meaning all these women ganged up to you know, make him do something wrong and you are also trying to convince me to change my mind. مُرُوا أَبَا بَكْرٍ فَلْيُصَلِّ بِالنَّاسِ Go tell Abu Bakr and he should lead the people in prayer. فَقَالَتْ حَفْصَةُ So حفصة رَضِ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا She got very upset with Aisha and she said, She said, لِعَائِشَةَ مَا كُنْتُ لِأُصِيبَ مِنْكِ خَيْرًا I have never seen anything good from you. Meaning, you got me into trouble here, you made me say something, the Prophet ﷺ got upset, and you have gotten me into trouble before also. I've always gotten in trouble whenever I listen to you. Now, this incident, it's clear how she got into trouble from the Prophet ﷺ, right? The Prophet ﷺ was upset with her. He said to her, Mah, stop already. But we see at another occasion, somebody, someone much greater, the Lord of the worlds, was upset. When? The incident of the honey. Right? That وَإِذْ أَسَرَّ النَّبِيُّ إِلَى بَعْضِ أَزْوَاجِهِ حَدِيثًا فَلَمَّا نَبَّأَتْ بِهِ وَأَظْهَرَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ عَرَّفَ بَعْضَهُ وَأَعْرَضَ عَنْ بَعْضُ فَلَمَّا نَبَّأَهَا بِهِ قَالَتْ مَنْ أَنْبَأَكَ هَذَا قَالَ نَبَّأَنِيَ الْعَلِيمُ الْخَبِيرِ إِن تَتُوبَ If both of you repent. So it was wrong. You know this plotting against the Prophet ﷺ. Obviously this is something that happened between husband and wife. It wasn't like a sin. But it was harming the Prophet ﷺ. So Hafsa radiallahu anha, basically what she meant here was, I'm never listening to you again. Because you got me into trouble before, you've gotten me into trouble right now. But we see that the Prophet wasallam, we see his determination over here. That Aisha radiallahu anha said, no, Abu Bakr won't be able to lead the people in prayer. She also gave another suggestion. Have Umar radiallahu anhu lead. And not once... But again and again. And not just her, but through others also. But did the Prophet ﷺ change his mind? No. No, he didn't. Look at how determined he was, despite the fact that he was ill. It happens sometimes because you're sick. You're like, it's okay, whatever happens, I don't care. So you get convinced easily. But look at his determination. Because you had to make sure that Abu Bakr his leadership is seen by the people, accepted by the people, and it begins in his lifetime. So sometimes it happens that you know what the right thing is, what you should be doing. And other people, they talk to you once, they talk to you again. And by the third time somebody comes and says that to you, you think, maybe I should change my mind. No. There are matters, and you accept them. But then there are other matters in which no matter who suggests you anything, you cannot accept it. You cannot. You have to be very firm about it. No matter how difficult it is for people to accept, no matter how difficult it is for you to do it, but when you know that it's the right thing to do, then you have to do it. 
حدثنا ابو اليماني قال اخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال اخبرني انس بن مالك الانصاري وكان تبع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم انس بن مالك رضي الله عنه he was تبع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم he followed him وخدمه and he served him وصاحبه and he was in his companionship meaning انس بن مالك you know about him he was only 10 years old or so when he was brought to the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم so he spent a long time with him So he said that Anna Aba Bakrin Kana Yusalli Lahum that Abu Bakr Adulahu used to pray for them, meaning he used to lead them in prayer. Fi waja in Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the illness of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allahi Tuwufiyafihi, in which he was taken, meaning in which he passed away. Meaning in the end of his life. When he became sick, who is it that led the people in prayer? Abu Bakr Adulahu. Until إذا كان When it was يوم الاثنين What does it mean? يوم الاثنين This is the day of اثنين Monday So when it was Monday وهم صفوف And they were in rows في الصلاة In the prayer Now remember that the last three days of the Prophet ﷺ He was extremely ill Alright The first of those three days is when the Prophet ﷺ first asked Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayer. And Aisha ﷺ, she suggested no. But that whole conversation that took place on the first of those three days. So what happened? Abu Bakr ﷺ, he led the people in prayer. And when the Prophet ﷺ found some energy in himself, what did he do? He went and joined them, as we learn from a hadith. But after that, what happened? He was not able to neither lead the people in prayer, nor join them in prayer. So what happened? Who was leading the people in prayer? Abu Bakr and who was leading them in prayer? Now this is the last day of his life. And which day was that? Monday. The day that he passed away. So for three days he hasn't been leading. Alright, so the third day, the day that he passed away, what happened? On Monday, وَهُمْ صُفُوفٌ فِي الصَّلَةِ And they were standing in rows in the prayer. Meaning they were praying as they should have been praying. فَكَشَفَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet ﷺ, he kashafa, he removed sitra al-hujrati, the curtain of his of the hujra, meaning the hujra of Aisha ar-Dalawa'anha, يَنظُرُ إِلَيْنَا He lifted it so that he could look at us. وَهُوَ قَائِمٌ And he was standing. كَأَنَّ وَجْهَهُ As if his face was وَرَقَةُ مُصْحَفُ The page of a book. ثُمَّ تَبَسَّمَ Then he smiled. يَضْحَكُ Laughing. فَهَمَمْنَا So we intended, meaning we almost أَنَّفْتَتِنَ مِنَ الْفَرَحِ That we were in fitna because of farah, because of that extreme joy. Why extreme joy? بِرُؤِيَةِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ By, you know, we saw the Prophet ﷺ, he came. He's looking at us, he's standing. So, Anas ﷺ, he said that we were in fitna, meaning we almost broke the prayer. Because fitna also means to stop, right? Sad. So they were almost prevented from the prayer, that they almost wanted to say something out of extreme joy or go towards him because they were so happy, so delighted to see that the Prophet ﷺ, he was standing and he was looking at them. فَنَكَصَ Abu Bakrin. So when Abu Bakr realized that the Prophet ﷺ was there, نَكَصَ He stepped back. He fell back. Why? عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ On his heels لِيَصْلِ الصَّفْ So that he could join the row. 
So in other words, he thought that the Prophet ﷺ was going to come and lead us in prayer. So while he's leading, what did he do? He stepped back so that the Prophet ﷺ could come. وَظَنَّ أَنَّ نَبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, He thought that the Prophet ﷺ خَارِجٌ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ He had come out for the prayer. فَأَشَارَ إِلَيْنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, But the Prophet ﷺ, he pointed towards us, أَنْ أَتِمُّ صَلَاتَكُمْ Continue your prayer. Meaning continue as you are. وَأَرْخَ sitra. And he let the curtain drop. فَتُوُفِّيَ مِنْ And that is the day that he passed away. So we see that in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr led the people in prayer. Especially in the last days. So Abu Bakr was really someone who had ilm and fadl because of which he was given this rank. And no one can say after this that Abu Bakr he had that superiority earlier, but in the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life, that superiority was given to Ali anhu. So he was more deserving of khilafah. No. Because it's clear. Abu Bakr anhu led the people for three days while the Prophet ﷺ was sick. Right? And he came, the Prophet ﷺ saw the people, smiled and laughed, happy at that sight. And the third day, which was Monday, this is when it happened, that he saw the people. Now you know when you have worked on something and you see the fruits of your labor, and he smiled laughing, يَضْحَكُ In the Qur'an Allah says, وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَلْطَى O Prophet, Allah will give you so much that you'll be happy. And out of the best gifts that he was given was when he saw his ummah standing on its feet, right, being led by one of them. That meant that he had accomplished his mission, he had fulfilled it. You see, if you're doing anything and you feel that you're worried that if I have to go, this work is going to collapse, this work cannot continue. Are you at peace? No. You're constantly worried. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He satisfied the Prophet ﷺ that your ummah will be in good hands inshallah. Your ummah is standing on its feet inshallah when you're gone. Also we see over here that they described his face as waraqatul mushaf. That like the page of a mushaf. Now what were pages like at that time? Allahu alam. But if you think about it, the page of a mushaf, any page over here? Okay, just pretend that this is a piece of paper. Is this not catchy? Does it not catch your vision, your sight? Doesn't it? Because it's plain, it's clear, it's bright. So just like that, his face was bright and glowing, beaming with joy. And because of that, it caught their attention. Even though they were praying salah. And he smiled and laughed because of what he saw. In the Quran also we learn about the example of the companions. وَمَثَلُهُمْ فِي الْإِنْجِيلِ كَزَرْعٍ أَخْرَجَ شَطْأَهُ فَآزَرَهُ فَاسْتَغْلَضَ فَاسْتَوَى عَلَى سُوْقِهِ يُعْجِبُ الزُّرَّاعِ Pleases the farmer. When he sees the fruit of his labor, he sees that tree, that plant, he's very happy, he's delighted. So likewise, the Prophet ﷺ was also very delighted when he saw the companions praying like that. And then what happened? That after the prayer ended, Abu Bakr went to see the Prophet ﷺ and he was doing a lot better. For the past three days, he had been quite unwell because of which he wasn't coming out to prayer at all. 
But now he was doing a lot better the last day of his life. And Abu Bakr thought, okay, alhamdulillah, the Prophet ﷺ is fine. So we learned that he went to his garden, which was outside Medina. And when he was there, he received the news that the Prophet ﷺ passed away. So he hurried back. And when he hurried back, everyone was panicking. They were confused. They were afraid. But Abu Bakr ﷺ, he was calm. Right? And... You see why he was made the leader. Because he was a calm person. He was given that leadership in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. There are more ahadiths also that elaborate this. Inshallah we will do the following ahadith in our next session. 685. That's what I have. حدثنا أبو معمر قال حدثنا عبد الوارث قال حدثنا عبد العزيز عن أنس قال he said Anas رضي الله عنه said لم يخرج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ثلاثا the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم did not come out for three days meaning in his final illness for three days consecutively he was not able to come out for the prayer فأقيمت الصلاة then on, on one, one of the days meaning after these three days what happened أقيمت الصلاة the إقامة for the صلاة was pronounced and that meant that the imam would come forward and the rest of the people would form their rows in order to begin the prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ had appointed Abu Bakr ﷺ to lead the people in prayer. So when the iqama was pronounced, فَذَهَبَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ يَتَقَدَّمُ Abu Bakr ﷺ, he went forward in order to lead the people in prayer. So what happened? فَقَالَ نَبِيُّ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِالْحِجَابِ The Prophet ﷺ, he قَالَ بِالْحِجَابِ with the curtain, فَرَفَعَهُ And then he lifted it. The word qala over here does not mean he said. Because the word qawl in Arabic applies to fail as well. Sometimes it applies to action as well. So over here, qala gives the meaning of he took hold. So qala bil hijab, he did fail on the hijab, meaning he took hold of the curtain. And what did he do with the curtain? فَرَفَعَهُ He lifted it. And we see this in another hadith also. When Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu anhu, when he, instead of doing tayammum, what he did was that he literally washed himself with mud. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَكْفِيكَ أَن تَقُولَ بِيَدَيْكَ كَذَا It would have been sufficient for you if you تَقُولَ بِيَدَيْكَ كَذَا And what he did with his hands, he he struck them. So the word تَقُولَ over there does not mean you said with your hands. Rather it means you did with your hands this action, meaning you just struck the ground with your hands. So over here also, qala, it doesn't mean he said, rather it means he took hold, because it applies to feral also. So the Prophet ﷺ took hold of the curtain and he lifted it. فَلَمَّا then when وَضَحَ It appeared. وَجْهُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, The face of the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning he lifted the curtain. So what appeared to the people who were in the masjid? The face of the Prophet ﷺ. When that appeared, Anas anhu said, "Ma nazarna manzaran." We had never seen a sight. Kana arjaba ilayna that was more pleasing to us min wajhin Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam than the face of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. When hina wadhalana when it appeared for us. Fa'auma an Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam biyadhi. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he indicated with his hand to Abu Bakr. إلى أبي بكر أن يتقدم to Abu Bakr to go forward because Abu Bakr must have stopped when he saw the Prophet ﷺ but the Prophet ﷺ signaled with his hand 
that go forward and lead the people in prayer. وَأَرْخَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ الْحِجَابِ And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم أرخى, meaning he dropped, he let it drop, what? الْحِجَابِ, the curtain. And فَلَمْ يُقْدَرْ عَلَيْهِ حَتَّى مَاتَ He was not seen after that until he passed away. So basically, we see that this was the last time that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ saw him alive. They saw his face. And when they saw his face, it was the most beautiful scene that they had ever, ever encountered. And the face of the Prophet ﷺ, it was beaming with joy, beaming with happiness, because he saw the people standing together and performing the prayer. We see over here that the three days that are mentioned over here are the last three days of the illness of the Prophet ﷺ, which began with the incident where the Prophet ﷺ tried multiple times to go to the masjid, but he was unable to. And then eventually, Abu Bakr was told to lead the people in prayer. And since that point, what happened? Abu Bakr led the people in prayer throughout these three days. Now, after these three days, what happened? It was Monday, and at Fajr time, this is when this incident happened. Iqama was pronounced, and the Prophet ﷺ, he lifted the curtain, and he was smiling, and the Sahaba were very happy. They felt that, Alhamdulillah, he had recovered. But the Prophet ﷺ signaled to them that, No, carry on your prayer yourselves. Abu Bakr led the people in prayer. After the prayer, Abu Bakr who went to see the Prophet ﷺ, and when he met him, the Prophet ﷺ was fine. So Abu Bakr who was very confident about the health of the Prophet ﷺ. This is why he left Medina, and he had he went to his garden that was outside of Medina. And when he was there, and it was still... Late morning, he received the news of the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And then he returned. But we see here that for three days, the Prophet ﷺ was unwell. And on his last day, he had that strength because of which he was able to see his companions. And this is when he was truly happy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that happiness. Because imagine for all these years, he had been struggling and, and guiding and teaching. And this was the fruit of his effort that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him see before his death. And you know, anything that a person does, when he's able to pass it on to somebody properly, and they see that they're doing it well, then this is the best form of satisfaction that you can ever have. Exactly, that the last time the Sahaba saw the Prophet ﷺ, they saw him happy. They saw him smiling. That was the last you know, memory that they had of him. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته